InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitty. Well, if you ever wondered what's in that stuff you're eating, our next guest has the answer. He's George Zyden, author of Ingredients, The Strange Chemistry of What We Put in Us and on Us. George, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're an MIT-trained chemist, and you have really looked into all sorts of things, processed food. What was the most surprising thing you discovered in this quest you went on? The most surprising thing was how unsettled and still under debate some of this science is. There's basically two camps here. The first camp is a group of scientists who say, listen, we can really accurately and reliably tell you that specific foods are associated with a higher or lower risk of specific diseases. And then there's another group of scientists who I didn't know about when I first started this research that are saying, well, hang on a second. A lot of the methods you're using, we believe, are unreliable. So there's been a debate happening in the scientific community for the past five, six, seven years about this. And it's really fascinating. Now, one of the sections of your book is titled, Should You Eat That Cheeto or Not? (laughs) What is the answer on that? I mean, we have this junk food craving. Uh, I think we all have a little of that. Is that going to shorten our life or not? When all is said and done, and if you believe the first group of scientists that I was telling you about just a second ago, if you eat, let's say, about 10% more of what's called ultra-processed food over the course of a lifetime, that's associated with roughly a year less life expectancy. Now, you can look at that in one of two ways. You can say, oh, well, a year doesn't sound like that big of a deal over, let's say, a 75-year long life. Or you could say, you know, a year is actually a substantial amount of time that I want near the end of my life to spend with my grandkids, so it's worth it to me to have that extra year. So I I can't tell you what to do or not do, but I can just give you the data and help you decide for yourself. Now, in doing the research for your book, which is titled Ingredients, The Strange Chemistry of What We Put in Us and on Us, in doing the research, obviously you talk to a lot of experts and so on. Did you actually eat a lot of junk food yourself? (laughs) Undoubtedly, yeah. Junk food was the engine that fueled the production of this book. (laughs) And uh, I wish it hadn't been. I wish I'd eaten a few fewer Cheetos and Oreos and stuff. But yeah, it was a lot of work and the sugar needed to come from somewhere. (laughs) Let's talk about what we put on us. And one of the things you talk about is sunscreen, which is very popular, but I've heard that it doesn't always work. Yeah, the interesting thing here is that a lot of people don't know the sun is really powerful and puts out a ton of energy, more than you would think. And I came across this incredible story of a woman who was from England and was prescribed a fentanyl patch for some post-operative pain. She then traveled to the south of France and unfortunately was in the sun when she overdosed a little bit on the fentanyl. She slipped into a coma and spent six hours lying in the sun and ended up with third-degree burns on a lot of her body. So I do want to emphasize that the sun is incredibly powerful. Now, that having been said, should you be terrified of it? No. You know, we all live our lives on a day-to-day basis. We spend time in the sun, and that's okay. If you plan on spending a lot of time in the sun, which I wouldn't counsel doing, then, you know, would I wear sunscreen? Yes. But I'd also wear a hat. I'd wear sunglasses. You know, I'd cover up. Really respect the sun is the bottom line there. What would you say to uh, our listeners who see the headlines, you know, coffee is good for you, coffee is bad for you? 
it seems like everything keeps, you know, the status keeps constantly changing depending on the research that comes out. What would you say to people who kind of just want to throw it all in the trash can? I'd say I sympathize. <laughs> Coffee is a great example. Well, doing the research for this book, I found headlines that came out within a month of each other with basically opposite results. And so in that kind of environment, the temptation is to just throw it all out with the bathwater, so to speak. But I would say that's par for the course when it comes to science because science takes a long time to answer questions. And part of the process for answering those questions is different groups of scientists will do different studies and analyze data differently, and that may sometimes yield different results. But those different results, they spark a conversation. And so, you know, I was telling you earlier about the debate between the two groups of scientists about ultra-processed food. That was sparked in part by differing results, different analyses of data across, you know, the past few years. And I would say, be patient. Eventually, there will be a consensus and science will have an answer for you on certain things yet, but it does take time. There are a lot of tantalizing things you talk about in your book, which is ingredients, the strange chemistry of what we put in us and on us. What do cassava plants and Soviet spies have in common? In a word, cyanide. So cassava plants are actually, they're a staple crop in much of the world because they produce these incredibly nutritious tubers that they're sort of set it and forget it plants. You can plant them. They'll grow their tubers, and you can leave them in the ground for a long, long time without those plants rotting. And the reason you can do that is because the plant produces cyanide to protect itself from animals that might wander by and try and eat it. So it's a very simple chemical, just a carbon and a nitrogen, but it does link Soviet spies who have tried to assassinate people with cyanide to cassava plants. Would your advice to somebody who is a little squeamish about certain things, would you perhaps advise them not to look into what's in the ingredients of things. For example, uh, I'm just thinking of shellac, I think, is made from insect body parts or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of weird ingredients out there. Yeah, there sure is. I would say try and change your mindset a little bit. Like, nature is an incredible place, and what humanity has done in terms of taking stuff from nature and repurposing it to meet our needs yeah, it can seem a little gross on first inspection, but it's also really ingenious. So I would say if you don't want to know, don't look it up. But if you're tempted, you might be surprised at your perspective. Are there things you wanted to cover in this book that'll maybe go into another book? There seems like there's an infinite number of things to talk about on this topic. Yeah, there is so much research that I could not cover that I want to cover. And I'm especially excited for some of the research that is being undertaken but hasn't yet been completed. Some of the scientists that I spoke to told me that they had stuff in the works, they weren't ready to talk about it yet. So I am excited to see what comes next for those groups particularly. Are you interested in the, uh, you know, the current quest for a vaccine or a cure for the COVID-19 uh, pandemic? It seems like there's a lot of science around that. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the interesting things about writing this book and having it come out in the middle of a global pandemic is that a lot of the skills that I learned while researching, especially when it comes to sorting out this incredibly fast flow of headlines that are coming out at you, those skills are directly applicable to the current information environment. When you read something, you want to ask yourself, what source is this coming from? Is it coming from the CDC? Is it coming from a friend of mine as a forwarded email? And you know, you want to check the tree before you eat the fruit. And that really was helpful. When it comes to, you know, vaccines or antivirals, yes, I mean, 
I just checked two days ago on clinicaltrials.gov, and it looks like there are roughly 500 or so trials that are underway in terms of finding treatments or vaccines for COVID-19. So there's really a lot of work being done, and it's fascinating stuff. Well, the book is Ingredients, the Strange Chemistry of What We Put in Us and on Us by science communicator George Zaiden. George, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.